I don't want another picture of me next to a bush and next to some flowers. I've got nothing against bushes. I've got nothing against flowers. Like, thank goodness they exist in our planet. But like, stop taking pictures of me and asking me to take my hair down and take my shoes off. And it's stupid because I'm someone that often has my hair down and I'm someone that often takes my shoes off. But not in that way. It annoys me. And it's the same thing that annoys me about sound engineers assuming that you want reverb on your voice. It's like they're putting makeup on your music and you haven't asked for it. That was Kate Stables of This Is The Kit. And this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. Today's guest got me thinking about, among many other things, the physical nature of music making, especially songs. Not only how it feels to strum a guitar, for example, but how words feel in your mouth, both spoken and sung, and how that can become another tool for expression of an idea or emotion. British-born and Paris-based musician Kate Stables, who records and performs as This Is The Kit, is a master and a devotee of this kind of wordplay and language, not only for rhythm's sake, but also as a conduit for contemplating the duality and complexity of thoughts, relationships, and the human condition. It's what's drawn me to her music for the past decade. And like many, I first discovered This Is The Kit in 2015 on their breakthrough third album, the Aaron Dessner produced Bashed Out, which was the follow-up to 2010's Wriggle Out The Restless and the John Parrish produced 2008 debut Cruel Bowl. Parrish also produced This Is The Kit's critically hailed 2017 album, Moonshine Freeze, their first for Rough Trade Records. Then came 2020's Off, Off, On with Josh Kaufman of Bonnie Light Horseman in the production seat. Yet another gorgeous and critically hailed collection. It was a top 25 album upon its release in the UK. And now Kate Stables is back with her sixth album, Careful of Your Keepers, produced by Griff Reese of Super Furry Animals. We'll talk about the new album, Kate's journey thus far, and so much more as we welcome Kate Stables, a.k.a. This is is the kit as this week's Shiro in the spotlight. Kate Stables, this is the kit. Thank you for being here on Shiro's. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Album six. Holy moly. How did that happen? You know, you start getting on with something and then you look up and you're six albums in. It's wild. Mm. I always love to do these interviews with people a little bit after they've released an album with a little bit of space because in the beginning you haven't even had time to digest it yourself. Yeah. So now that you've had a little bit of space since it's been released in the world, any reflections on careful of your keepers? A good question. It's true, actually. Me personally, I always need a bit of time after I've done an album to sort of yeah process it a bit and join the dots up because it's only at that point after it's finished that I do start seeing the sort of patterns and stuff plus it's only after doing a load of interviews that I start sort of thinking oh I said that again oh I thought about that again and you know it's true that you sort of get to grips with it a little bit better so in theory that means I should have a grip on it now but I also feel like (laughs) I've taken more holiday this summer than I've ever taken in my life and I've just like forgotten what I even do as a job holidays are good but let me see what about this album 
Yeah, I think it's... Um, it was the album that just sort of... There was no avoiding it, I think. I just had to process what I was sort of experiencing in my life. I mean, this sounds really basic stuff and this is sort of what anyone does when they write a song, I guess. But it was a pretty horrific sort of year or so and ended up getting written about in this album. <laughs> you know, but that's what people do, isn't it? When they uh, are alive, their work sort of becomes a way of dealing with their life. But um, Lou Keepers, so I guess the title is probably a sensible place to start in terms of the album. It was nearly going to be called Goodbye Bite, but then for some reason at the last minute I changed my mind and it became Careful of Your Keepers, kind of because of wanting to think about the way we keep things and people and stuff in our lives and the reasons why. So there's the things you keep, but there's also, you know, on the other side of that, there's the people that look after us and keep us. And sometimes we're being kept in a good way by someone else or by ourselves, or sometimes we're being kept in a bad way by ourselves or by someone else. You know, and there's sometimes there's things we just need to let go of or come to terms with the loss of or the changing of. Be careful of what you want to look after. And there's be grateful and acknowledge who's looking after you and be careful of things that sort of keep you stuck, I guess. Oh, man, I love all of that. And I was thinking about the word keepers. I don't know if you actually have this phrase in the UK. You know, somebody meets up with somebody who's like their new partner and they're like, well, that guy's a keeper. Yeah, you know, totally. Like, like Pokemon cards. That's a keeper. Yeah, you know, that's a just, keeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Pebbles on the beach. You, know, yeah. you find a pebble and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. that is a keeper. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. We have that phrase. But it's like careful nice. of what you call a keeper, careful of what you pick as a keeper. Yeah. Yeah. Careful of your prison guards, careful of yes. your gardeners, careful of your carers. Careful of your keepers Mindful of your healers And the wooden structures Creaking of the Careful of Your Keepers is the title track to the new This Is The Kit album, album six for Kate Stable. She's our guest today on Shiro's. Now, the last album was produced by Josh Kaufman, yep. dear mutual friend of ours. Yeah. And Legend. this time you had a new producer. Yes, Griff Reese. I hope that one day Griff will be a mutual friend of ours both because he is worth knowing. He's really, really great. And I could tell he was great. You know, when you get a sense about someone, even before you sort of know them properly. I've been a fan of his music for a long time and going to his gigs and stuff, you can just tell when someone would be a real pleasure to work with and his sense of sort of fun and play and hard work, like taking the art seriously, but also being playful with it and having a sense of humour was really obvious to me, I felt like. So it was just someone that I wanted to work with and it was great. It was really good. Plus, he's really good at communicating his ideas. He's so thoughtful and considered and he listens and he says if he's still processing stuff, he doesn't sort of pretend to have an opinion straight away, which I feel like is something often we're tricked into thinking we need to 
do. We have to sort of know immediately. And so it was a really great experience working with him. And also, this is one thing they have in common, him and Josh, who we made the last album with. They're just an absolute pleasure to be in the room with and just made the band feel amazing and have a really lovely time in the studio. And I feel like that's super top priority for me. Like, no ego, just good vibes. (laughs) I am a music nerd, but I also ask that question specifically in this context because I'm always really curious about women's decisions of who produces their albums because Mm -hmm. it comes up a lot at the end of our conversation. I do this thing called the Shiro's Magic Wand. I give you a wish. A large majority Mm -hmm. are saying for the Shiro's Magic Wand wish Can we get more female producers? Can we get more queer and female crew members? Like it's the tech side of things that people seem to really feel that there is an absence of. Yeah. And not enough choices of when it comes time to entrust your art with somebody in the studio. Yeah, I mean, I would agree that there's definitely a sort of lack of representation in terms of not all tech jobs. I mean, what I've noticed and what I love about living in Paris and France maybe is that I feel like more than in the UK and more than in the US, I've come across a lot of female sound engineers, lighting engineers. It feels noticeably better in that respect. But that's only my tiny little mini life of experience. You know, it might be a really different experience for someone else. But it's true. A bit more representation would be good. And it's also true that I have thus far not worked with any female or queer producers and I wonder why that is partly it's because I don't know where to find them (laughs) exactly (laughs) and I guess it's a question of like I don't want to just choose someone to work with just for sort of ticking a PC box box because you know I wouldn't really want someone to do that to me yeah but it's that thing isn't it yeah you come across them less so the people you bump into just happen to be men (laughs) right and so it's a snake eating its own tail a little bit but check it out I feel very lucky in that I have mainly bumped into amazing men who have been so good and so aware of their position and the position of the women they work with and I just feel like I've learned a lot about feminism from some of them I think probably which is really cool because I feel like It's really important to be a good feminist, even if you're not female. Also, I feel like part of that reason is that I'm not someone that necessarily seeks out maybe a bit more these days because I was brave and I asked Griff if he wanted to produce it and I was brave and asked Josh if he wanted to produce our album. But I'm not very ambitious and sharky in my approach to my career and creativity. I just want to do what I'm doing and for it to be sustainable and to work with decent people. So sometimes other people approach me and say, can we work together? And usually I say yes. (laughs) So it's that way round, really. I mean, before the band was like properly established, I was quite happy just sort of producing my music on my own or with my partner, Jesse, and we would, you know, hash it out the way we wanted it. But then it's true that since having a more established band and less of a sort of rolling cast is quite important for me to have an external person to come in and make it nice and guide the creative choices rather than us being stuck in our band grooves where we sort of 
have the same reflexes or the same ideas or whatever. And it's just nicer when there's like a nice new person involved. Like it just makes it a nicer experience for everyone. It makes so much sense. I knew from reading interviews and reading about this record that mm. you had chosen Griff. And so I was just interested to hear too, like why you thought that he would be a good fit, particularly for this record. Yeah, it's yeah, true that, that quite that often sense. it's not even the artist that chooses. I mean, it's nice when someone offers and then you can say yes, but often it's just the record label. Like I forget how many different configurations there are out there of who's writing the songs, who's choosing the producer, who's like sort of calling the shots. Yeah. And yeah, I have to remember about that because I'm very lucky in that I've always been in charge of my own ship, as it were. That's amazing. Well, since you talked about the beginnings mm-hmm. of This Is The Kit, for those that don't know your history and aren't familiar with you, where did you and music first meet up as a kid? Yeah. And when did this project become This Is The Kit? Yeah, how did it all happen? When I sort of look at my career, it feels like a pattern, a version of how I other things happen in my life as well which is sort of like quietly hoping that it would be but not really daring or being a bit too superstitious to say it out loud and just sort of getting lucky with encounters and also just if I'm honest um not having enough imagination to do anything else just like <laughs> relentlessly just continuing like even if a situation is really hard and exhausting and at times quite miserable I still always know that that's what I wanted to do so I'm gonna sort of keep doing it but let me try and rewind to the beginning I guess yeah I grew up in a family that I guess was pretty musical in that they listened to a lot of music and both my parents played a lot of instruments <laughs> and <laughs> my three sisters also all played music in various forms over the years. My twin sister, Emily, I think went furthest in terms of study and lessons and ability in that way. But we all grew up, you know, enjoying singing and playing music. So that was that. And then I guess pretty standard, same as most people. When I was a teenager, I liked listening to music and then learning how to play that music with my pals. That was when I first met Rosie, who plays bass in This Is The Kit. Because I was friends with her older brother, Sam. We went to juggling club together at secondary school, me and Sam. (laughs) And then I met Sam's younger sister, Rosie. And so the three of us would play a lot of music together and then play open mic nights. Then Sam was running an open mic night. Then people would kind of come and ask us to open for gigs at the local venue, things like that. So that I feel like is pretty normal, but all happened quite naturally. You know, again, I, I guess my character is I don't like asking for stuff. And so I never would have necessarily asked <laughs> for gigs, but I was always really happy when someone asked me to open, you know, offered it. And so then that started that. Then I guess this is the kit. I didn't want to use my name, partly because I didn't know what the project was going to be, whether it was going to be, you know, music, songs, visual art, rolling around on the floor. It was a creative outlet. I mean, I guess it was kind of obvious that it was going to be songs, but I didn't like... I wonder why I had some sort of resistance to the label of singer-songwriter (laughs) because it felt particularly at the time maybe still now but maybe I'm different now I see things differently now it felt a bit too getting pigeonholed and it also felt like what you got called if you were female at the time it didn't feel like men were getting called singer-songwriters it felt like men were like artists (laughs) and women were singer-songwriters and I was just like I didn't want to be sort of stuck in that sort of shelf. So I just called it This Is The Kit in the hope that one day it would grow into whatever it was going to grow into. And then I guess it has done that. 
And for a long time, it was just me on my own. Then it was sort of me and my partner, Jesse, and then whoever was around. You know, we toured lots, so we knew people in different places and they would join in if they were in town and stuff. It was sort of a, yeah, rolling cast. But then slowly over the years, it settled down to being Jamie on drums, Neil on guitar, and then eventually Rosie on bass. She was doing more bass duty after me and Jesse had our daughter. And then when she started school, we didn't tour together anymore. We sort of took turns to let her go to school but yeah that's kind of how I ended up falling into music I never sort of dared to think it would be my main professional activity but eventually it just was and so so far at the moment because it might all change at any moment it's like a sustainable source of income for me and my band mates which is really cool that's my main goal It was interesting when you were talking about getting away from the singer-songwriter trope. I've heard so many people on this show mm-hmm. saying the same thing, that okay, they didn't yeah, want to be called a singer-songwriter. Yeah. Especially because usually the word female gets tacked on right before. Yeah, exactly. It's true. Female singer-songwriter. Female singer-songwriter. <laughs> I know. What's that about? And I, I, I always think it's funny when people say oh, a female-fronted rock band, and I just sort of yeah. think, what? Just say rock band. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I was thinking about how you named it This Is The Kit, which is kind of gender free. It's like if you didn't know and you didn't see any photos of you, you wouldn't know until you heard your singing. And I think that is something that has always been quite important to me, I think. Partly because I'm a little bit of a trickster and like to keep people guessing. But also just because I guess I grew up as not a very feminine child or person. I mean, I identify as female. I'm a total cis lady. But I also, at times, wished I was a boy. At times, people would think I was a boy. Sometimes even that thing where you're... And it's kind of sad, and I realise it now as an adult, but sort of feeling like it's a compliment when someone thinks you're a boy or when someone thinks that you do something as well as a boy or something. And then growing up a bit older and like getting really into the Velvet Underground and being so happy and relieved at how much Lou Reed messes around with when he says she or when he says he. And it just sort of doesn't matter. Maybe it does, obviously, this is just my interpretation. But like, I was pleased when people messed around with gender and it felt like it made sense to me. And I've always been sort of more interested in things that aren't necessarily male or female. So Kit is a name that my family called me when I was growing up. And I like that it doesn't necessarily make you assume a certain sex or gender or whatever. Oh, all the assumptions. Yeah, I don't we like can, assumptions. It's, it, yeah. it, it's so unnecessary. Yeah. And it's something I really sort of struggle with um, in France. Not necessarily that they assume more than other stuff, but like everything has a gender. Like in the French language, everything's either male or female. It really, it really annoys me. And quite often I end up sort of ignoring the rules on purpose. <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've got things like, I mean, these days it's like post person or firefighter or whatever. But like I remember growing up and thinking about like postmen and firemen and like policemen and stuff I remember just thinking yeah if that's my job I'm a postman call me a postman I'm a human I'm a postman like but for other people instead of sort of claiming the male word it would be sort of submitting to the male word or like them sort of trumping the female version or something but it's funny isn't it because there's no right or wrong it's just some people prefer to say actress to specify and I would just rather just there was one word for everyone and I guess yes to me actor is neutral but to other people and to a French person 
it would be male. So it's sort of funny. You were talking about being a twin, and I know that your siblings are two sets of twins, which is wild. Yeah, we've got way too many twins. (laughs) So I was thinking about how your lyrics, how your words are like mirror phrases. Somebody said, I loved that term. Somebody else has said elliptical. It's true. I I wondered whether you've ever contemplated that, that your twin nature and your twinning family, even with the duality of male and female, if that's played into your art. I think about it a lot. I don't know if I think about male and female consciously. I feel like I'm more someone that's prone to ignoring those rules a little bit. Binary rules, yes. Yeah, but I am so aware of my seeing things both ways. And often I guess it's more than two ways, but I'm someone that sort of believes that often the opposite is true of anything. So that is something that I'm sort of aware of in myself. Also, I'm a Gemini. So I wonder if it's also... Fuck yeah! When's your birthday? (laughs) May 30. When's yours? Mm, 25th of May. We're so close. (laughs) Yeah, pretty good. But yeah, exactly. So I wonder if... Is that a Gemini trait? Just sort of seeing two sides? Yes, but I'm going to say this. I think it's a misunderstanding or misconstrued Mm -hmm. notion that Gemini's is all about duality. It is about duality, but it's duality in multiples. So it's like every... Every aspect of a thing or your personality or an emotion, there's always two sides. So I see it more like being in a hall of mirrors. Yeah, it's kind of fractal almost. It's just like... (laughs) Yes, but not like in a crazy way. Yeah. Although I guess Sometimes, it could drive some maybe. people crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like more like the reflection is a reflection is a reflection is a reflection and you're seeing all these different sides. Yeah, it's a sort of infinity tunnel of um interpretation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is really beautiful. Yeah. It no is. wonder I like your music so much. Oh bless you. But it's true <laughs> that I feel like I'm sort of prone to sort of playing a bit devil's advocate as well. Like even if yeah. I don't agree with someone's opinion, I often will end up sort of mentioning it or thinking about it in a sort of way of checking what I do agree with, just because we can't assume that our way of seeing something is any way that's so sort of infinite. Who is it? Yeah. Is it sort of Robert? Anton Wilson, does he talk about people's reality tunnels? Everyone's just got their own reality tunnel. Oh, I've it's never just heard that, and I love that term. And, and it yeah. is a little bit that. I mean, it, it can make you feel a bit lonely sometimes if you think about it. Mm-hmm. But obviously, we have a lot of shared experiences. But at the same time, there's no ignoring the fact that we don't know what other people are experiencing. So let's see. What song do you feel like is a good example? They're kind of all good examples of this thing that we're talking about. I think probably if I was to sort of quick, rapid fire reply, it would be Inside Outside because I just spend the whole song <laughs> deliberating about whether it's this thing or that thing. Like it's just, you know. And the play on words is amazing. The oh, choo 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 choos yeah. you. Did that really come from a Simpsons episode? Yeah. And it's great because I feel like the world is made up from people who watch The Simpsons that much that they recognize it or people that didn't watch The Simpsons that much and don't recognize it. It's just nice because people are really happy to recognize something that they remember enjoying. Oh my God, hell yeah. Also, it's nice to be reminded that even in art that can feel really emotional and deep and philosophical that there can be light again that duality like yeah, I mean, there's that's lightness definitely in what it. I do I mean I'm just sort yeah. of talking about something that is really upsetting and then I just make a joke about it but I mean hopefully not in a glib way but you can't ignore the sort of double existence of that I just can't help you know with the jokes 
you know that's what I enjoy I enjoy messing around with words and I enjoy remembering episodes of The Simpsons from my teenage years and you know it was an amazing moment it was Lisa being incredible and like giving Ralph a um, Valentine's card because she felt bad about him not getting a Valentine's card what a legend all the molecules were focused on your next move didn't mean to move didn't mean for it to move Focused on your next move Didn't mean to move Didn't mean for it to move you Bite off as much as you can chew I chew, chew, choose you Inside Outside is track two on the new This Is The Kit album, Careful Of Your Keepers, the sixth studio album, and Kate Stables is here with us on Shiro's. There's some recurring themes on this record. That was one of the things that I thought you might bring up when I was saying like, okay, you've had some time since the album came out. Any reflections? Did you know that there were themes lyrically on this record? Or maybe even topically there's themes too that we don't know about. Well, it's funny actually, because before the album was called Carefully Your Keepers, when I thought it was going to be good, called Goodbye Bye, before that, I thought it was going to be called Measuring Stick because the earliest songs I'd started writing did seem to be about our tendency to sort of quantify stuff and our need to sort of measure and compare and get stuck in the numbers. And so I did notice myself talking about that a lot and I feel like yeah with this album maybe more than other albums even there's reoccurring lyrics from like one song to another I actually sort of say the same thing <laughs> nearly or exactly and so yeah it's true that there are reoccurring themes but there always are when I write albums and probably just reoccurring themes in all of my albums are the same like is it Abbas Kiarostami that sort of said that filmmakers only ever make one film in their life but it's in loads of different film-sized portions. So, like, that might be what I do. <laughs> Just That's honking wild. about the same stuff. That's human nature, though, isn't it? It's human like, nature. I think and about... we change. And, like, every time we revisit an issue or an idea, it's not actually the same. We've sort of done a loop of the spiral. So we've moved along a little bit. It seems the same, but it's still progress. We can hope, right? Evolution. If, I hope if you're... so. It's true. Sometimes it <laughs> no. feels like it's a downward reverse spiral of Oh my doom. God, I know. Like you go to therapy and you're like, we're still talking about this. Wow. Like, but I feel like in therapy, it's only ever good and positive and moving forward. Yes. But I feel like in terms of humanity and our relationship with our world and each other, it's really hard to have hope and faith that we're getting better sometimes. It does Agreed. feel a bit like there's a bit too many Elon Musk's mentalities oh, out there and not enough David Attenborough's. So I just turned 50, right? And even before I knew what the word feminism was, I think mm -hmm. I've been a feminist my whole life. But college was definitely the time where I became aware of the word and started mm -hmm. studying it. And I was studying music as well. So I kind of had both of those things going simultaneously where light bulbs were going off all over the place yeah. about all of that stuff. And that was the era of Lilith Fair yeah, and yeah. Riot Girl and all of these things. So it was like very present in music. Yeah. But the point I'm making is it's wild to me all these years later. I do think that we've actually made a lot of progress. Yeah. However, there's a lot of stuff that I can't believe we're still talking about. Yeah. I can't believe that I still have to even do this show. Yeah, you know? it's like, true. It's true. But I guess as long as it's been 
that women have been marginalised, it's probably going to take at least that long to become unmarginalised. Plus, there's no one petri dish is there like every country has got their own sort of history and problems or like past and present and future and i guess the fact that the planet has become more sort of global and more homogenous in terms of the media and consumption that has a weird effect on all the different individual sort of situations because i remember sort of growing up definitely being pretty feminist all my life but i remember at one point being almost a little bit embarrassed or like felt like I shouldn't admit to being a feminist because we're in this situation we've got all these you know equal rights now it's fine now like there was this kind of idea that what are you complaining about but that's so sort of not the case it's so not the case and so we still need to remember and the definition of a feminist is just someone that believes in sexual equality like if you're not a feminism you're basically really small-minded and sort of misogynistic and bad like the idea that anyone would sort of claim that would like be like yeah yeah I'm not a feminist it's just sort of really bad but people are embarrassed by it and it's complicated as well isn't it because I know like when I had my daughter I met people that struggled with this sort of judgment of like if you don't go to work especially in France because I feel like there's such a lot of free and affordable childcare, and it's brilliant and that's so important and necessary and that is a really important thing for feminism and for women but at the same time it has this reverse effect of like if you don't put your kid in a creche at six months then you're kind of soft or like not a feminist or not strong enough or doing the right thing do you know what I mean there's this sort of judgment this sort of reverse feminism judgment that if you decide to stay at home and look after your kids or kid then you're not being a good feminist and I feel like I mean I think that's like that here too actually but in countries well in my experience in the UK where childcare is more expensive and less affordable and less the normal thing at least you've kind of got an excuse to look after your kids if you want to look after your own kids. Like, you'll be like, oh, you know, it's really expensive, so, you know, <laughs> what can I do? But, like, but here it's sort of... When I had my daughter, like, 16 years ago anyway, it felt like there was more judgment about not putting them in creche at six months, which I would not have been capable to do that. Six months is too young. For me, personally, definitely, yeah. you know, it's fair enough and it's great if it's there for other people. I've gone off on one, but just that thing of there are so many different ways to live your life and it's very easy for people to sort of judge and say oh you're not a good feminist because you do that or you don't do that or whatever and this doesn't help being that judgmental does it (laughs) not at all Kate Stables is here with us on Shiro's. The new This Is The Kit album is called Careful of Your Keepers. Now, when you just said that you'd had your daughter 16 years ago, mm-hmm. I was thinking, okay, wait, so when did the first This Is The Kit album come out? 16 years ago. It was pretty mental. It came out wow. just after she was born. <laughs> yeah. Literally the whole ride, you've been a mom as well. Yeah. Wow. I mean... Also not because like the years that you spend like as a teenager doing open mic nights and doing gigs or whatever, those are really crucial bits of of the the ride. Like that is sort of the beginnings of you sort of learning the craft or whatever. But it's true that definitely since music has been my only income, because before I moved to France, I had other jobs as well. So since moving to France and just being a musician, I've been a parent. Hmm. That's been a topic of conversation a lot, too, which yeah. is something I didn't I didn't even really think about that when I started doing this show that I was going to be talking about mother. I don't know why that didn't occur to me. Well, like, the thing is, at the same time, why should it? Because, I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? I mean, I wonder how many times 
male musicians get asked about what it's like to be a dad and a musician at the same time. Like, they don't get asked that question. And so, in a way, it kind of feels like, well, why are you asking me? But at the same time, it is worth asking because it is different. And, you know, people do act and deal with their situation differently depending on whether they're a mum or a dad or this type of person or that type of person or whatever. It's quite interesting. And like when my daughter was in secondary school, she was like 12 or 13 or something, there was a school project on women artists that had been kind of uh, invisibilized, but that's not the word, is it? Like in French, that's the word, but not in English. I don't know, you know, like don't get, you know, given any credit or attention because they were women. Or often they were sort of like overshadowed by their male partners or contemporaries or whatever anyway so she was doing this project and and I feel like a little bit of a bastard because like when it first started I was like oh what's really like it almost felt a little bit lazy but it's actually really important especially for young kids and for young boys to be doing that project but then they were looking for parents in the school that were artists so they could interview them and I was just like yes okay you can interview me but then you get these questions are like what's it like being a musician and a woman and, and I just sort of think oh people don't ask men what's it like being a man and a musician like they just don't ask it and that's all I just wish they would so tell me what's it like being a cis white straight man in music go <laughs> And it's just like, it'd be really important for them to try and answer that question. Because it's a bit like when people ask me, what's it like being a twin? I'm like, well, I just don't know because I've never known anything else. But it's still quite a good exercise to try and imagine something else. I don't know if you're familiar with the band Self-Esteem. Um, no. Oh, it's really great. It's an artist, but she has like a band and stuff. She's got like a load of T-shirts that say, what's it like to be a woman in music or something? It's just that same question that just gets asked like over and over again. And I just sort of think, oh, ask a man that question. But I also think it's important for us to talk about it and share well, our I know. stories. It's, so, like, it's, it's so important. This is right. So this is the double-edged sword or like yeah. it fits right in with our Gemini, Gemini ways. Because it's like, <laughs> on the one hand... I fucking hate that phrase, woman in music. And yeah. I hate that question. And yeah. I think it's so done, so over, so needs to go away. Also, also plus, it needs to be talked about. <laughs> it needs to be talked about because it is different yeah. and we're not equal yet. Yeah. And so it's weird because on the one hand, you don't want to identify like, I'm a queer musician. Mm -hmm. I'm a female musician. But, I mean, this some is people an all-female band. Might, some people do, that does help them to identify as that sort of thing. Some people, you know, but it also, it feels like right. there should be more, it should just be more normal that people are different. Exactly. But until it is, isn't it important for us to signify like, hey, yeah. we're here. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and we're going to talk about this shit that we never get to talk about because unless we talk about it, then is it ever going to really yeah, be normal? Exactly. Like, I don't really know. And, it's, and again, <laughs> we, it would be so awful if there was like the shame thing of like it not being cool to talk about it or it not being, you know, whatever. Right. And because I feel like maybe my first awareness of like, feminism shame or judgment or whatever was probably I was a teenager so a little bit you know sensitive about what people were saying mm -hmm. but I was really 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 and this is actually also me worth mentioning as a huge influence I just loved Annie DeFranco like she was my hero 
she basically taught me how to play guitar because all I would do is try and play her songs. Like it blew my mind. Like when I was a bit younger, I discovered Lou Reed and I was just so happy that he was talking about drag queens and saying he and she and just like mixing up. But it was amazing to discover Ida Franco's music and for her to be talking about periods and like sexuality and like falling in love with women and how you get treated in your workplace. And oh my God, it was so great. But along with that came all these people going, oh, so annoying, or oh, so sort of whiny, or like, you know, and then you're just there in the middle sort of going, oh, what, what, but is, is it? Oh yeah, I suppose it is. I suppose she is complaining, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, but she's amazing. Like she was sort of so ahead of her time. But then also she wasn't ahead of her time. Everyone else was just really behind. Like you just need, you need it to be said, whether it annoys people or not, basically, I think. Like, you know, fair enough. Some people are going to find her music too nasally or too angry or too shouty or too whatever. But it's so important that it exists. And what's funny is that people don't even realise how much they've benefited from that or how much artists like that have influenced their place in the sort of timeline of musical influences and of like political influences and stuff they don't realize the importance and like similar with Sinead O'Connor like people don't realize what huge difference she made I mean and they're only realizing it now but like a week before she died no one was realizing how amazing she was I don't know so basically yeah it's important to talk about it even if we're a bit tired of talking about it we've got to keep talking about it thank you for being here to talk about it well thank <sighs> you for being here to talk I, about it I love that you love Ani DeFranco too I got to interview her a couple of times this past year nice. and it's been such an honor like we owe her such a debt so um, much and I feel weird because like I feel like it was a whole period of my life where I kind of forgot how I, I just listened to all of her albums all day, every day, solidly yes. for like, I don't know, three years of my life, whatever. And part of me had forgotten. And I don't know if part of that was like feeling embarrassed because I knew that people were a bit sort of eye rolly about it. I don't know if it was just because I got too into other types of music and just forgot about it. Because there's also times when I spent all day, every day listening to Massive Attack. You know, you just don't know. As a teenager, you're just like binging on music and it, everything just sort of moves you and just gets really absorbed in. But yeah, she was so important to me and everyone, even the people that have never heard her music. She's really important to them too. Agreed. You said that she was a massive influence on you. Like, mm -hmm. if you could pick a song of yours that you feel like you could draw a through line. Is well, there such a song? Well, probably a lot of my earlier stuff because a lot of my earlier stuff is more open tuning-y and that blew my mind how much you, you could tune your guitar however you wanted. You could use a capo so that it was in whatever yep. key you wanted. I loved it. But let me try and draw a line. It's true because there's songs of mine that have definitely borrowed tunings that I discovered in learning her songs. Basically, I remember as a teenager loving the feeling of playing. I think it's called Willing to Fight. Do you know that song? And so of I, I loved playing that song. It just felt so amazing. And one of the main things about my relationship with music and playing musical instruments is the sort of physical sensation of it. Like, like I don't know much about music theory or like I can't sort of hear stuff in my head before I play it or anything. It's so much to do with like what it physically feels like. I'll sort of go for a shape before I know what it feels like and then play it and then like take it from there. Yeah. So yeah, Willing to Fight. I loved playing that song. And then I think as an adult, I was trying to remember how it went or like f find that feeling again of what it felt like playing that song. 
and then as a result of that I think that's kind of how the song Slider came about the guitar part to it anyway because it does a similar sort of slidey thing so that's cool. a line that's an Ida Franco line and then I mean there's probably other ones too definitely loads of my early ones where it's just a lot of open tuning and capos <laughs> oh my god one of these days we're going to have to get you and Ani DeFranco together in conversation have you ever met her fun. no no never I've, met her I, yeah I used to go and see her quite a lot in concert but I've never met her why don't we get back to a song from the record we're talking about guitar okay maybe we should go to a song that you love your guitar work in like, what's the most fun for you? Stuck in a room. Maybe let's talk about that one because I'm so addicted to the sort of pleasure <laughs> that we can get from when a bit of music can go between being like in three or being in two or four. It's just uh such an important part of the pleasure I get from music is like cross rhythms. And so this song, Stuck in a Room, I just go to town on it. That is often what I hear in my head. It's like a different beat to the one that the song is in. And I think for that song, like I'm singing in the time sequence of the tambourine, but I'm playing the guitar in a sort of binary 4-4-y four, four sort of time signature. And then Jamie, the drummer, came along and added something that was neither of those things. That, for me, is an example of me looking for a challenge that then becomes addictive fun. Like that is, I think, something that I do in my guitar playing and in the songs I write. Quite often I'll start writing a song by trying to do something I can't do and then mastering it and then that turns into a song. Measuring once, cutting it twice, click it back in, nearly as nice, sorting it out, stacking up piles, take it back down, error by trial, stuck in a room, tidy it up, tidy it up, not good enough. Sitting up straight, sharp as a tack Snatching it off them, grabbing it back Good to be honest, things a bit too Can only be you, rebuilding you Not what you wanted, not knowing when Both ways were holding, owing to them Stuck in a room, this is the kids' new album Is Careful of Your Keepers And Kate Stables is our guest today on Shiro's I read an interview that I loved Actually, maybe it was an audio interview No, I think it was written With TalkHouse, it was you and Jessica Hoop Another one of my favorite Oh yeah, she's artists. great Oh my god, what a talent Oh, she's amazing Bloody yeah. hell <laughs> Yeah, I know, it's ridiculous One of the things that caught my eye And not my ear Because I haven't listened yet <laughs> Sort of harkens back to what we were talking about before About the singer-songwriter title You both were talking about image and photographs mm, Yes, I remember and, that bit and, of conversation uh, yeah. You said, you know, people choose to see you And they'll try to make you into some pretty little folk girl Which actually kind of reminds me of Ani DeFranco as well Yeah, yeah, exactly uh, She whole, talks about that really well yeah. Being not a pretty girl. And we talk about being under the male gaze. Like I was just talking with a country musician the other day and she was saying that early in her career, somebody gave her a piece of advice, which mm -hmm. was people will see you twice before they ever listen to your music. This was like way back. Right. Mm -hmm. They'll see your headshot and then they'll see a photo of you on your album. And then they'll make a judgment whether decide. or not they want, yeah, yeah, yeah whether yeah. they want to listen to you. Yeah. And getting back to your conversation with Jessica, you talked about wanting to be pretty, not wanting to be pretty, posters, 
how you handled image. There was a photo of you that she complimented you on where you had a little bit of a red nose, like you were cold, that she loved, that yep. you didn't love, but got used anyway. So I was curious to kind of broach that topic with you and, and talk about how you've handled image throughout your career and where you are with it now. Oh, it's a big one, isn't it? It's tricky because it's sort of tied up in our whole experience as people and humans and what we think we want to look like or think we should look like. Like I definitely, yes, I think the, what was the red nose picture? Yeah, I didn't mind the red nose. That's probably what I liked about the picture. But I think other than that, if it's the same picture I'm thinking of, it just looked quite sort of like nighttime urban. I don't know. It looked too sort of posy. And yeah. I guess that is something that I struggle with when it's too posy and taking itself too seriously. And also... It's difficult, isn't it? Because often it's not the male gaze. Often it's a female gaze because we have just been taught for generations that we want to look a certain way. Like, you know, women's beauty or appearance or whatever has been used to sell everything to everyone. Like if they're selling stuff to men, it's like women's bodies as sex. And if we're selling it to women, it's women's bodies as women's bodies for sex. Like you want to look like how men want you to look. And then years later, that's how women want to look. Or maybe at the same time. Anyway, there's this weird thing about what we're supposed to want to look like. And I don't want to look like that. I don't want to look like I've got makeup on. I don't want to look like someone wants to get off with me, but I've been treated my whole life, I mean, as a musician, as someone that has their picture get taken. First of all, they insist that you have your picture taken. You're not allowed to not have pictures taken. Only people that are really stubborn and so exceptionally sought after that anyone will like bend to their will. Only those people get away with not having their picture taken. And I'm too much of a people pleaser and a sort of a sort of wanting to help other people's jobs type of person. So I'll be like, okay, I'll try. Okay, I'll do that. And, and then it's horrible because they think that you want to look like a female folk fairy next to some flowers and I just sort of think oh fuck off like I don't I don't want another picture of me next to a bush and next to some flowers I've got nothing against bushes I've got nothing against flowers like thank goodness they exist in our planet but like stop taking pictures of me and asking me to take my hair down and take my shoes off and it's stupid because I'm someone that often has my hair down and I'm someone that often takes my shoes off but not in that way it annoys me and it's the same thing that annoys me about sound engineers assuming that you want reverb on your voice it's like they're putting makeup on your music and you haven't asked for it I'm really off on one now because I shouldn't talk about reverb, I should talk about image. It's like the sonic image. They're just like, oh, this will make you sound nice, love. Like, it's just sort of so patronising and gross. I just think, ask me if I want any effects and what effects I want. Don't assume I want reverb. I just find it so patronising and sort of misogynistic. It's just gross. And they don't do that to Sleaford Mods, so don't do it to me. And it's tricky because that's sort of a lot of the time in venues, people that you're just working with for that gig or whatever, but even people that are kind of in your sort of team or whatever. I understand that record labels work with a lot of artists and you can't read people's mind and it's definitely my responsibility to sort of say what I'm happy with and what I'm not happy with. But at the same time, when like a really lovely person has bent over backwards to like set the stage for you and they've just drowned it in like flowers and candles I just don't know what to do because I don't want to like piss on the fact that they've been really thoughtful and tried to make it how they think I'm gonna like it but I fucking hate it I don't want flowers I don't want candles 
Like, again, you wouldn't do that for Sleaford Mods, so why the fuck are you doing it for me? Like, ask. Quotable. <laughs> <laughs> but I also have to get over the fact that no one will ever hear or interpret my music the way I do. Some people will get close to it, but most people will just hear a woman playing the guitar and singing and they'll just go off into Flowerland. Like, that is what they hear. So I can't control that and I've got to let go of that and I've got to be fine with that. That's okay. I mean, nope. their own experience of my music is their own experience whatever yes. but when they try and put it on me and they think you don't that have to accept that when though, they think that no. that's the only way it is and that's the only way it exists I just sort of think nah mate that is not what I'm about I'm not into flowers <laughs> I mean but then I'm, I'm sounding like a total anti-ecosystem bastard here but this is it's not about you know plants it's just this image thing <laughs> and one time it was early on in my sort of experience of photo shoots and it was the most horrific one I've ever experienced and it was a female photographer so you'd think maybe a little bit less sort of sexualizing or whatever she sat me down in front of some flowery wallpaper and proceeded to put shit loads of makeup on me and I was sort of young and nervous and wanted to trust her judgment it's her job she knows what she's doing fair enough whatever and it was horrific it was such a sort of violation of like uh, you know because the photographs afterwards not only were they horrific because they were me wearing makeup and I have never worn makeup I do not feel okay in makeup <laughs> but not only was these pictures of me wearing like an insane amount of horrific makeup but she'd fucking airbrushed it as well like I just thought wow really no. wow and the thing is but at the same time how do I have the right to feel that because I didn't tell her she's just used to people wanting that and I just think, oh, man, like treat me like a man is actually what I have wanted all my life. But it's not because I don't think that people should wear makeup or that women should wear makeup. And it's the same when you go on television programs. You've got to wear makeup because of the lights, whatever. OK, you go into makeup and, and they just do this ridiculous thing. And I'm just like, no, please, please don't just um, just do exactly on me what you would do for a man and they just don't believe me and it's really weird and I was so happy when I saw have you seen that series by Mae Martin that's called Feel Good they had to go on TV and getting makeup done and it's exactly the same thing they were just like put makeup on me as if I was a man don't try and like make me look like a sort of I don't even know what the word is but you know like someone that's got loads of feminine makeup on like yeah because totally because like yeah. I just think drag is so important and excellent and necessary and has taught my daughter and me so much but I'm not a drag queen I'm not right like I don't it's the same if I put on nail varnish I feel like I'm in drag if I put on makeup I feel like I'm in drag and it's not really okay to assume everyone wants that so is the solution then before you walk into any situation the request like your writer you know yeah, like when exactly. you go into a dressing room you have a writer your photo writer is do me like a man. Definitely. There has Your to be a photo writer. writer. Do me like a man. But Treat like, me like sleeper mods. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. But it's funny because uh, that is what we do for the reverb. Like it's on our tech spec. And often you'll come across a sound engineer that's pissed off and will take the piss out of you about it and will put reverb on your voice anyway. 
and it drives me insane and quite often it will result in me doing the gig without using the microphone it just turns into a total sort of battle of wills so but hopefully that wouldn't happen with a, like a photography it's true that as you get older and more confident in my case anyway I'm not always very confident I definitely was less confident when I was younger you just have to get the reflexes to be like okay I'm going into this situation I better just specify I don't want to be next to flowers I don't want makeup on blah blah, blah the list but it does seem to me like it definitely struck me growing up or like doing gigs that like men always had more fun photo shoots. Like there's pictures of them like in a raincoat with a rain hat on or something. Whereas when I was sort of growing up musically or whatever, in all the venues I played at, all of the posters of women were just like fashion makeup adverts. And I just thought, why? So you were saying like not having the option to be photographed, right? Mm, yes. Um, because again, it's that had... thing of like, I'm interrupting you, sorry, but it's that thing of like, no. people want to know if you're male or female. It's like when a baby's born, is it a boy or a girl? It's just like, shut yeah. up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you can't see what this person looks like. Listen to their music. That same country artist who I was telling you the story about the seeing you twice before they listened to you. Yep. Her magic wand wish was that the visual was gone like yeah. you could only experience music through your ears not through your eyes yeah i mean it's a good which point I think for is all of us to remember dope amazing at least for the first time you yeah, know exactly but i was thinking about this just to play devil's advocate let's be honest it's annoying sometimes to feel like i just want to do my whatever your job is and not feel like simultaneously I'm carrying the load or the labor of needing to be a spokesperson or representative yeah. for whoever it is that you're identifying as, like yeah. whether that's a queer person or a woman or, a you know, whatever, whoever, whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, it is so powerful. If you think about, you know, full circle back to our conversation about Ani DeFranco, like what an impact she had on you yeah. because of not only her music, but how she presented herself. Yeah. Right. And it's funny because she even talks about that in her music about how people take every little thing she does as a comment on womankind yeah, and stuff. You know, like, yeah, exactly. exactly. So, so it does have, again, that duality where on the one hand, it's annoying and we wish that we could take it away. But mm -hmm. until it's equal, it's so powerful if you can find the ability to, you know, like some women have been doing. I mean, Lizzo's a great example mm -hmm. of I know she's in a little bit of a thing right now. Yeah. But I still think that she's like done so much for I body think, positivity. I think she's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, even when she posts videos where she's like not wearing any makeup, it's important for people to see that. Yeah, it's so um, important. And all we can do is sort of. I guess live by example like yes you know that's all we can do and and that's just really important just to sort of you know treat other people as you would want to be treated and be as authentic as you can and then people do they get a lot from that that's sort of important so it's like if you ever second guess yourself about pushing back about things like wearing makeup or whatever mm -hmm. I feel like it's helpful in those moments to remember that also it's not just about me. It's also like about anybody who might be watching or listening or yeah. observing what I'm doing. I do what I do for them, not for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's true. There is that as well. But also I feel like there's also that thing of just not wanting to make people's lives difficult. And it's funny because 
one time I was making a bit of a fuss about the fact that this person wanted me to hold this flower to take a picture and I could tell they were getting annoyed about it and then the photograph they took was totally brilliant so it's sort of like it's hard because you sort of want to work with people and you want to respect their craft and their judgment and their tools or whatever and their choices but every situation quite often you'll think oh I've learned that lesson for next time but then there is no next time that you can apply it to it's always different every time but it's true that it's worth sticking up for yourself and you know having standards and making it so that you're happy with the results basically it's worth it but it does sometimes feel like you're pissing people off in doing it but maybe it's okay we do have to learn to get used to that we've got to learn to piss people off and to decide not to mind sometimes I think so Mm. yeah and you know in those image moments where we're talking about the visual it's harder to do this when you're talking about sonics but like Mm. if somebody was really pushing their agenda on you in terms of taking your photo Mm -hmm. or what you're going to wear or something you could say look how about this we'll do it your way for this yeah and we're going to do it my way and then I just want like final say yeah which one exactly but it's hard isn't it having the wherewithal because I know that I'm someone I can imagine that I'm not the only one that like in the situation I'm just sort of like rabbit in the headlights can't make any decisions don't have the sort of reflexes to sort of go wait a minute there's another way we could do this <laughs> but it's only afterwards it's a classic thing like so oh I should have said that but oh. yeah it's true but it's true if we could just sort of learn a little bit more sort of mindfulness slowing down wait a minute what's happening here this can we try this <laughs> you know it, it's yes. hard but like it's a lifelong project isn't it to sort of learn how to sort of communicate what we need and as women it's hard for us it yeah is. it's funny isn't it why is that it just does seem to be harder and it's a pattern as well like because i really don't like generalizing and i feel like it's dangerous to generalize and quite often people will like put me in that situation they'll be like oh what's the difference between france and england i sort of go and i I try and think of some awful generalizations i don't even believe are true so yeah we do have to not generalize but there's no denying the fact that there are patterns that can be you know pie charted or venn diagrammed or whatever but there's some cool stuff happening like i'm so happy that the world is how it is now like my daughter growing up in this world i'm so happy that she's growing up now and not when i grew up for example oh my god all this stuff like when you watch sitcoms from the 90s it's horrific yeah it's homophobic it's misogynistic everyone's got an eating disorder it's awful but now you can grow up you can watch sex education you can watch ripples drag race there's so many great tools out there it's really good and like the women's world cup was amazing this year it was great People were like uh, the sort of soccer, FIFA. I'm loving it. I'm just loving it. And I feel like, you know, there's hope for the future. Agreed. Oh my gosh, that's such a positive note to end on. So visioning the future, what is your magic wand wish? If you could just like wave of the wand, Mm. the first thing that you would. Yeah, just the first thing that comes to my head. Because it's true that tomorrow it might be a different thing. I don't know how practically it would work, but I would love it if gender wasn't an issue if people just didn't ask or want to know i feel like that would solve a lot of problems this whole thing of having to have a photograph so that people know what you look like so that they know if you're a woman or if you're a man or if you're not or if you're non-binary like it's all part of this sort of branding capitalist disaster so i think it would be pretty cool i don't even know what how do i sum that up with magic wand you're good at you're good at words remove gender remove gender just remove it yeah exactly take gender out of the equation no more gender in music here here to that kate stables it's been so awesome to have you here let's close with a song more change yes 
The more they change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, let's go with that one. Today there was progress made. More change, more it stays the same. If we're holding hands, will anybody see? If we're holding hands, will we walk at the same speed? With thanks once again to Kate Stables. Thank you for being here on Shiro's. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Many thanks once again to Kate Stables for being with us. Album six for This Is The Kit is Careful Of Your Keepers, out now on Rough Trade Records. Catch This Is The Kit on their U.S. tour for the month of October and early November. Shiro's is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. Shiro's is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit shirosradio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the Shiro shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at Shiro's Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening. <laughs>